Well, let's get straight into the conversation then. Pilile Nduli is a commissioner at the Human Rights Commission, joins us now. Pilile, good morning to you. Good morning, Kathy. Uh, good morning to Yamgela, Honorable Masondo, and your viewers. Thank you very much for inviting us to your program. Yamkela Spengani is a local government scholar, also on the line. Yamkela, good morning. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning to the fellow panelists and also to the listeners at home. All right. And of course, we're also expecting to be joined by Councillor Begestofile, who is um, the president of the South African Local Government Association. So, you know, there's no question about the need to strengthen monitoring and oversight, particularly um, for local government. Pilili, let me begin with you and ask in particular the Human Rights Commission, how do you position yourselves in this conversation, especially because we know that there's an entire department that is the Department of um, COCTA, that is part of its mandate is to be doing exactly that, monitoring oversight over local government. Thank you very much, uh, Kathy, once again. I think the best place to start is this notion of a constitutional dialogue, which enjoins organs of state to work together in particular in ensuring that we strengthen and support our constitutional democracy. This speaks in particular to the judiciary, the national executive, parliament, chapter and institutions, civil society, and the manner in which we all work together towards this common end goal. Now, with regards to monitoring in particular, there are various instruments legislative as well as public policy that guard the manner in which we approach the question of monitoring. National government, provincial government in particular, the constitution um, orders them to monitor the work of service delivery and local government, ensuring that they support local government to be able to be equipped to deliver services. In addition to that, Chapter 9 institutions, particularly the South African Human Rights Commission, is similarly mandated to monitor in addition to the protection and promotion of human rights. We are mandated to monitor and assess the extent to which especially government delivers on its mandate to ensure that they support our constitutional democracy. Now, how this then brings us to the constitutional dialogue? I would want to make reference to especially the white paper, the 1998 white paper on local government makes it very clear that recognizing these interconnected mandates that all are focused on one end goal, which is strengthening our constitutional democracy. How do we ensure that we are all in one rhythm towards this end goal. And the white paper on local government suggests that national government in particular should develop a system at national level that adjoins all of us in light of our mandates. This is to ensure coherence and complementarity of our mandates. And to that effect, 
a government-wide monitoring and evaluation framework was developed as far back as 2008. The question then, Cathy, is to what extent has this government-wide monitoring and evaluation framework been efficient in ensuring that we are all working together in a complementary and coherent way to monitor the effectiveness of government? Thank you. So, Pilile, what you're saying is the kind of role that the Human Rights Commission is playing now in bringing different entities together, focusing specifically on issues of monitoring and oversight, is something that, in fact, should have happened a long time ago. Absolutely, Cathy. In fact, it's something that has been happening uh, since uh, the establishment of the South African Human Rights Commission. The question for us is, with the progress of time, how do we ensure that we assess and evaluate our own work, our own policies, to better respond to the challenges of the contemporary times? And we have held this conference in particular to be able to help us to ask these questions and to respond not just as Chapter 9 institutions, but bringing into one room other organs of state, as I indicated earlier, especially in light of constitutional dialogue, bringing in national government, bringing in other chapter nine institutions, bringing in civil society and academia to help us ask the question of how do we strengthen and innovate in order to assist us in responding to the challenges of the time. Yamkala, when you have all of these different entities playing a role of oversight and of monitoring, um, there is the risk, of course, that the process can be so focused um, where these organizations are concerned that we then deviate from the work that is also supposed to be coming directly out of the government departments that are tasked with this work? Um, I, I would say that is true because now um, you you want to have a clear line of accountability who's responsible for what role. So uh, if you have COGDA as, as the, the department that is tasked or the ministry that is tasked with oversight and, and evaluation and monitoring uh, uh, where local government is concerned and the functioning of local government and the following of all the necessary statutes and service delivery roles that it has, um, if you have other points of monitoring, people might confuse them, but uh, it, it is important to distinguish that uh, what when the organizations like the Human Rights Commission come as, as Chapter 9 institutions uh, or the public protector, uh, it, it's not to take the role of, of COCTA per se, but it's to also ensure that not only do the local governments deliver on their work uh, as opposed to... Um, or in addition to what uh, COGDA is supposed to do, but they they actually also monitor COGDA to show that COGDA is actually doing the job that it's supposed to do in the monitoring and evaluation. So they are actually for the sake of the public benefit uh, because they are outside government. They are a Chapter 9 institutions that are supposed to then assist in making sure that all the relevant stakeholders along the, the chain 
from the local government themselves right up to the Minister of COGSA are actually doing what they are supposed to be doing and are accountable to the public for doing those elements that they are their commitment as per the constitution and other statutes that run local government. Of course, uh, accountability is a, a very huge aspect of this conversation, Yamgela. When we look at the role of Chapter 9 institutions, and yes, um, some of them have statutory powers, etc., etc., but if you just take a look at um, the Auditor General, for example, year on year, the Auditor General will tell us about um, malfeasance that is taking place, uh, irregularities that are taking place, where spending is concerned. They'll have a number of recommendations, but ultimately they don't have that much power when it comes to the systems then that govern local government, that enable um, the, 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 the kind of corruption here that we are talking about. So can we have effective oversight and monitoring? Well, when ultimately all these bodies can do is sit and highlight what is going wrong or even what has gone wrong, but don't have a direct influence on those processes or even the ability to prevent it from going wrong? Well, um, um, many a time the argument has been uh, that uh, the missing puzzle in all the Chapter 9 institutions is the, is the Attorney General institution because now we have uh, uh, the, the NPA and the Director of Public Prosecutions uh, not really being uh, a Chapter 9 institution, whereas if we had a scenario where uh, part of the National Prosecution Authority was now uh, an Attorney General that was able to work hand-in-hand with the Auditor General, hand-in-hand with the Public Protector and the Human Rights Commission, uh, there would be more effective enforcement of, of recommendations that are coming from institutions like the Human Rights Commission and the Auditor General, uh, General in terms of uh, if there are necessary uh, steps that need to be taken where prosecutions are concerned, where malfeasance is found or corruption or whatever else that needs to be undertaken into the criminal justice system. It can be done from the purview of an attorney general type of system as opposed to the current system that we have. I'm not sure that it can work, but you are very right in that uh, at this present moment in time, there are recommendations that are made by the Chapter 9 institutions, but enforcement ultimately lies with the accounting officers uh, in, in, in the cabinet and uh, their handover uh, to be able to be done to the National Prosecuting Authority to make sure that it takes to task all the criminality that is uncovered in the municipalities. As to where the missing link then becomes when the reporting is done uh, to the point of execution, it may be something that we need to deal with in depth. Mm. Pilile, how seriously do you find that you are taken as the Human Rights Commission where you do step up um, on this, on these matters? And, and I know that you've played a crucial role when it comes to really identifying and investigating failures um, at, at a level of delivery. So we can talk about issues of water, we can talk about issues of housing, of sanitation that the Human Rights Commission has had to investigate and in many instances make adverse findings against whether municipalities or government where there have been failures. Um, but beyond that, what have you found has been the response that you receive where corrective measures are taken to change the situation?
Kathy, thank you very much uh, for that very important question. I think firstly, on the question of power and the suggestion that we may need to consider then establishing new structures. I think the problem or the solution is not necessarily establishing new structures within our constitutional framework. But the real question is how do we strengthen the existing constitutional structure to be able to better respond not just to their mandates, but to better use their powers to hold those who need to be held accountable accountable for the duties and their responsibilities in accordance with the Constitution. As far then as the South African Human Rights Commission is concerned, you are right, we have made various interventions in light or in line with our constitutional mandates as well as the powers afforded to us, especially by the South African Human Rights Commission Act. And I will just want to quote particularly uh, in terms of Section 22 of our Act. All right, Pelile, before you do that, just hold that thought for me. Uh, I'm going to give you a chance to continue in a moment. It's 11.30. Let me go to Mpositole, who's standing by with a look at our latest news headlines. SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. Leading the conversation. We continue the conversation on the talking point for our municipal watch feature today. We're looking then at the more holistic approach that has been taken that includes Chapter 9 institutions uh, to conduct oversight, monitoring, and also to scrutinize municipalities to better improve service delivery. One of those organizations that is at the forefront of this conversation is the Human Rights Commission. We're joined by Commissioner Pilile Nduli. Yamgela Spengani is a local government scholar, also part of the conversation. Uh, Pilile, you were still talking to us about uh, then some of the regulatory frameworks that an institution like the Human Rights Commission operates under and what would help strengthen the work that you're doing as a commission? Thank you very much, Cathy. Indeed, as I was saying, in addition to the powers and functions that are assigned to the commission, especially in terms of Section 184, 12, and 3 of the Constitution, the commission is further empowered by the South African Human Rights Commission Act, which is Act 40 of 2013, to, amongst others, make recommendations to any organ of state at any level, wherever the commission considers such action um, advisable for the adoption of progressive measures for the promotion of human rights within the framework of the Constitution and the law of South Africa. Further to that, we are empowered and competent to request any organ of state to supply us with information on any legislative or executive measures adopted by ourselves relating to human rights. We also have uh, powers to develop, conduct, and manage information uh, programs and education programs in order to foster public understanding and awareness of the Bill of Rights in particular. Now, as far as compliance to our recommendations, as you have asked, Kathy, there have been various ways in which 
we have ensured that organs of state comply with our recommendations, not limited to, of course, extending our relations, especially in light of this constitutional dialogue to the judiciary. And uh, a um, good reference to this is a matter in the Northwest province in particular, which is the Cliphart Sea community, which had made a complaint with the South African Human Rights Commission on the deprivation of especially water. And this Cliphart Sea community is in Madibeng municipality. The allegations and the complaints there were not only on insufficient amounts of water that are provided by the municipality, but it was also that when water is provided by the municipality, it is in most cases polluted. Now we conducted in line with our mandate and our powers an investigation, and we issued an investigative report on the 18th of December in 2013. And our recommendations called for measures to address the pollution. Uh, and this was to the Madibeng municipality. We also identified, of course, then the non-compliance. And Madibeng municipality did not comply with our recommendation. And then to further this and to ensure compliance, we then approached the court. And the court issued an order on the 9th of May, 2017. Such order, then ordering the municipality to comply with not just our recommendations, but to provide water to the community and to ensure the progressive realization of the right to clean and drinkable water. The municipality further didn't comply with the court order, which then adds another layer to the discussion that we are having here this morning. And what the commission then did in addition to that was to apply for a contempt of court order. And this was then issued, and where we are currently is that the municipality is currently challenging this issuing of a contempt of court order. So this can be demonstrates how we can, at a practical level, use this notion of a constitutional dialogue to ensure that institutions, particularly public institutions, comply with the recommendations mm. of the commission. All right. I want to bring into this conversation Councillor Begestofile, who is the president of the South African Local Government Association. Uh, Councillor Sofile, good morning to you. Good morning, Katie, and to your listeners. This issue of being able to conduct proper oversight over municipalities and, um, you know, listening to what Pilile has been saying from the perspective of the Human Rights Commission, it is commendable the fact that the institution is going in some instances as far as it is to try and hold those government entities, in particular local government entities, that are not delivering services to the people. From a local government association perspective, what is it going to take 
to get municipalities to do their job. So why do we need all of these different methods of oversight, of monitoring, so much resources being placed into what should be a very easy process because if municipalities were doing their work, then the work of monitoring and oversight wouldn't need to be as extensive as we're seeing it today. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Katie. And let me first pass our condolences to the family of a councillor that shot that in a Tegwene municipality yesterday. Um, it, it's a number of things, Katie. And um, I think, as I've said earlier on in other discussions, that the drafters of the constitution, they were very much um, foresighted uh, to see uh, how to combine the object of local government as enshrined in section 152 of the constitution and entirely with the section 154 of the constitution that on the basis of the assumptions that have been made in 1998, uh, municipalities are not in the same a way of ability to to collect and and, and commit uh, on on issues that have been committed uh, as required by the constitution and that is why it brings in the the, the element of cooperative governance and i'm happy minister in her input today in the government local government week she 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 realized that that uh, the the inability of three spheres of government uh, to play the role that they're supposed to play, it disadvantages and collapses the government system in South Africa. And then, and that to us, I think, as an association, it's one thing that we ultimately appreciate. What what is what what we are doing as Salga as an association is that it is important to identify gaps, and part of the gap is the oversight role that it's supposed to be played by council itself. As you know, that the council has both the executive and and, and, and the oversight and responsibility. And therefore, the, the, the oversight responsibility of council, it must be exercised by council. And that is why we are training various councillors through various uh, committees that they have uh, in council to play oversight. And what is, to us is important, linked to what the Human Rights Commission has been raising and through its uh, conference that they had, uh, looking into local government is partner is partnership in dealing with matters that affects communities. And to me, if we can master that well, as I'm seeing now, uh, different spheres of government beginning to realise the importance of partnering uh, in dealing with challenges that lo- faced by local government. And therefore, the issue of oversight, uh, it will be a matter that will be swiftly dealt with. Uh, collaboratively and cooperatively amongst the systems, I mean, amongst the spheres of government that are operating in the same space. And yes, of course, Katie, uh, we can't deny the issue, uh, uh, that the weaknesses in, in, in local government, and it requires collaboration and, co- and, and partnership in, in dealing with those issues. So there's a part of me that, that thinks, uh, Councillor Stofile, that is this the, the, the right answer to the question that, that that we're really facing at local government because what we fundamentally have is an unwillingness 
to have local government function effectively. And I'm saying that broadly, but when we look at the problems at local government and what leads to lack of service delivery, ultimately it comes down to capacity issues, it comes down to monies that are effectively laundered out of state coffers, end up in people's pockets, not going where they need to go. If we are unable to solve that problem, does it not mean that all of this other work runs the risk of being in vain because we haven't dealt with the crux of the issue? I, I, I think, it, let, let's take Madibeng, for instance. Your, 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 your person that was talking was talking about Madibeng. Just to illustrate the point that of assumptions made then and the reality that we are living today are completely dis, disjointed. Madibeng, its um, ability to collect uh, from households is, letter, is lesser than the 90% assumed in 1998. And therefore, it put inability of that municipality to stick to the commitments that it has made. And that is why I think the debate about reviewing the manner in which we assume local government functions, it's more relevant and important. And as we do that, we do that with the understanding that collaboratively within three spheres of government, it can make us to achieve the objects that we have set for ourselves. And, and, and that is why I think to me, I don't want to argue on basis of a municipality. You must go into detail and profile of that municipality and look into those that are able to pay what they're supposed to pay and that payment, it must be then used and re-injected into commitments that that municipality has made. So, so I, I think to me it will be incorrect and, and the blanket approach on the basis of the weakness of the municipalities. And then that is why I'm saying it is better to accept one that the municipality has those challenges that have been facing, Mati Bank, for instance, making an example as the, the speaker was speaking about, and the assumptions that were made at that time, and the current connectability or current capacity to collect right. is one is one issue. So, so, so I'm saying it, it, it's a matter that we can, all of us, focusing, as I'm seeing now, President, as he was addressing the mayor, Council of Mayors in East London, commitment of various spheres of government work collaboratively and deal with challenges. Yes, Human Rights Commission is doing what it's supposed to do because it's a human rights issue in terms of not rendering service to a committee. All right. Councillor Begestofile, we're going to have to leave it there for today. He's the president of the South African Local Government Association. Pililin Duli is a commissioner at the Human Rights Commission. And Yamgela Spengani is with the local government. He's a local government scholar. Unfortunately, that's where we have to end it with our conversation for today.